Hello and welcome to Into the Script, a podcast about storytelling by friends who love to watch films and discuss them. Come for the movie, stay for the chat. That's right. I am Levy Maynard, and with me is Alexander Litvinov. Alex Litvinov. We have been away for so long. We have. I think the last time we we got together and recorded an episode was before COVID, and we should have done more during COVID. With which would be the perfect time to do that. Yeah, you'd think it's a perfect moment for... But we haven't. For that, but we've been lazy. We've That's been... a shame. But you know what? We're here. And uh, this is episode number seven. I think the last time... We did Blind Spotting. Was, uh, was uh, Blind Spotting. Yeah. Great film. This is episode number <laughs> seven. And uh, this is about Triangle of Sadness, written and directed by Ruben Ostlund. Mm-hmm. Um, Great film. It's an amazing film. I tried finding the script, but uh, I could not find the script um, for the life of me. I could not find it. <laughs> I was really looking forward to read it because I think it's such a great film. Um, but I did watch the movie. I think Alex saw it twice. I saw it twice. I could watch it again. Yes. Um, my hope is that the script will be made available at some point for um, during award season um, for the jury's consideration. So they usually they, they release the script for... Uh, Probably the final shooting script, which is the closest one to the movie. But um, my fingers are crossed. I hope I can find the script and read it because it's mm-hmm. such a great movie. Disclaimer, before we get into all the juicy bits, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't watched the movie and you don't want it to be spoiled, press pause, go watch it and then come back. Yes, there will be spoilers about Triangle of Sadness. Um, you'll hear great things about this movie, and we will spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. So please go watch, do yourself a favor. Yes. It's amazing. And then please come back and finish the episode. Unless you want to be in a Triangle of Sadness yourself. Yes. What do you think uh, Triangle of Sadness mean? The title? Well, they kind of give it away in the movie, you know. Mm. There's a, this first scene where Carl is auditioning for this fashion brand and this guy says can you relax your triangle of sadness kind of pointing towards yeah. the point between his two eyebrows it's the uh, area between your eyebrows mm-hmm. um, which was definitely not what i was expecting when i went into the film i was wondering I mean, why he named the film that that that's what i mean why do you think uh, it's named triangle of sadness considering we know what happens considering we know what happens in this what happens in the story, considering we know what triangle sadness is, you know, the space between your eyebrows when you frown or you're sad. Well, I think there's many layers to the title. And one of those is particularly the <coughs> triangle, The that's the relationship between Carl, Yaya and Abigail. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it is a, sort of a triangle. I think in a way it falls back to that, you know, after you watch the film and when you get to the third act and they're on the island, that's going to... What I thought when I was watching them. Yeah, I, when I before I watched the movie, when I knew it was a movie about uh, people in a cruise ship um, in this in the ocean, and I saw a Triangle of Sadness immediately. I thought of Triangle of Bermuda. That's what I thought as well. Yeah, and uh, maybe there's uh, there's a you know it it wasn't um, on purpose, but there's definitely this uh, this implication of uh, going back to Triangle of Bermuda, especially because they they do get ship, shipwrecked. Yeah, the well, yeah, the, the Bermuda Triangle is famous for making ships disappear, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, so in this in this uh, movie, um, what uh, what were your 
first impressions after you left the theater? First of all, I watched this film at the Vancouver International Film Festival, and it was one of the biggest lineups I had seen for a film in my entire life. The lineup turned around the block twice, so I had to line up in the back alley for this film. And there was even another lineup for people who didn't have tickets who were waiting to get in. So I saw it with a massive, massive audience. And it was a beautiful experience that I had, hadn't had in a while because we were all laughing out loud together. And I went to see this movie with my mom. So we had a great time. We laughed out loud and we came out of the film very, very cheerful and happy, <laughs> oddly enough, in a way. You know, uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, too. I think uh, when I came out of the theater and I was considering what I saw, I, I immediately thought this was a movie about um, uh, the themes of inequality because I noticed uh, a lot of the characters they do mention, they write out, say, I just want to be equal a few times. Or, you know, some of the characters even say not everyone's born equal or something that effect. So I... I started noticing this motif of equality, inequality, coming back uh, to the movie again and again. And then I took in the overall story, and I was certain this was a movie about this particular theme. Um, but then I watched a few interviews by Ruben Oslund, and he never mentions it in his interviews. Mm. Even when uh, people directly ask him what the movie's about, he never mentions equality or inequality. And I thought that was very curious, because it was so clear to me that that's what the movie was about. But... Uh, Maybe that's a um, um, an underline to, to the story that, um, you know, it's just built in subconsciously into the story. Mm. Um, he does uh, say that this is a movie about the uh, currency of beauty and how people use their looks to uh, advance in society or gain favors. Um, and we do see this in the story with the... Uh, fashion world and how Carl relates to Yaya and their relationship um, and also when they are on board the ship and we see this coming back again and again uh, between the characters and then again when they get shipwrecked in the island but we'll uh, we'll get to that part of the story uh, later in the in this episode we'll talk about the story a little bit mm -hmm. right in Triangle of Sevens <laughs> we follow two characters uh, in the beginning Carl um, who's a model a male model and Yaya who's also a model Uh, and also an influencer. Um, and they have a relationship, they're dating. Right in the beginning of the movie, there's a very funny scene where, very nervous scene where uh, they are in a restaurant and they, Carl is sort of expecting Yaya because she invited him to dinner to pay for the bill. But Yaya, when the bill arrives, kind of uh, looks over to Carl and implies that he will pick up the, the tab. And they have a little conflict. <laughs> that was a very, very funny scene. I, I love how Austin has the... And I've seen him talking about this scene. And every single detail is so well thought out. The way the Carl is framed from the way Carl is framed in the movie. In his position in the table to the light that comes... You know, like the way she holds the mirror in her face, pretending not to see the bill. Every single detail in the scenes was, was very... It is a brilliant scene. <clears throat> I think it immediately <clears throat> exposes the characters very blatantly, you know? And it, waits, very it, clearly. it, it wastes yeah. no time. It goes straight into 
uh, conflict. That scene, it's very explicit of what the film is uh, trying to say. And even in before that, when Carl is auditioning for uh, for a job, the way that his looks are dealt with in the story is are, are very telling. The, even the, the way he's called the male model, it's almost like in the fashion world that is the patri- patriarchy is kind of flipped Rip. upside down. Yeah, it's a subcategory. <laughs> yeah, and uh, right after the scene, that scene in the restaurant where they have this uh, argument, that's uh, the first time that uh, the the motif of equality comes up because Carl, when they're arguing about who was supposed to have paid for the bill, he says, I just want to be equal. And that, for me, was so clearly the what the, the scene was trying to say. Was, uh, and, you know, throughout the movie, they, he says it again at some point. Um, for me, the movie also kind of juxtaposes the almost like our, our most basic and primal nature, as opposed to how we change that and adjust in society and you can see this both in the first act and the third act very clearly i think for example when when carl is trying to have a convince a conversation with yaya when they are in the uber on the way back and he's trying to you know very gently and calmly talk with her and say hey i want us to be equal and she, she's like, I don't want to know anything more about this guy. I just want to get home. And so she leaves and he stays in the Uber. He pays the guy and the guy says to him, can I give you some advice? And he says, you have to fight her. Almost alluding to a, like a primordial role of like, you need to earn her respect by taking a stance and not letting her walk over you. And he literally says, otherwise she won't respect you or, or something like this. And I think Carl <coughs> hits to this advice very well in a way because the way he chooses to argue with her has a lot of like playfulness and comedy to it. And I think she responds very well to it. And I think that's what allows her when she comes back to the room to kind of say, okay, this guy is for real. He means business. I'm going to experiment and actually open myself. So she says to him, ask me anything. You know, so then he asks again, but she this time is honest, is open with him, and I think that very clearly establishes the relationship. What is it, what is it that he asks again? He I, I don't remember the. Uh... So he asks again about the situation in the restaurant. Oh, right, right, right. The... He goes straight back to the question, like, "Were you planning to pay? Like, what, what's the deal?" And then she's finally honest. She's like, yeah, I saw the bill. I wasn't going to pay. He's like, doesn't that make you feel shame or awkward? And she's like, no. So then they can actually connect on a very honest level, thus kind of solidifying for the time being the relationship. Yeah, that, that, that was a, a lot of details in that scene. It's beautifully constructed. Beautiful. And there's there's a lot of contrast between that act and the third act, you know, between how their relationship changes under the circumstances. In, in what sense do you mean? He says to Yaya that he's going to make her fall in love with him for real. That's the ending of the scene at the hotel that mm-hmm. kind of establishes and solidifies their relationship. But then at the ending of the film, you know, when they are stranded on the island, he's essentially 
trying to survive using the skills that he have or you know the, the currency that he has at hand which is beauty and the the only person in the island who has the tools to provide food is abigail so he uses his looks essentially to you know gain seduce abigail gain food uh essentially you know abandoning everything that he had said to yaya at the beginning of the film but the very ending of the film when abigail and yaya go for a walk I'm not gonna say too much about this because I think we should, you know, still talk about more things before we get to this point. Mm -hmm. But I think all this comes down to that last sequence in the film, and we'll leave that there for now and come back to it later. But yeah, yeah, that's definitely we'll we'll uh, definitely get back to the uh, to the third act uh, because um, right after the uh, the scene in the restaurant and their discussion about who had needed to pay the bill. We go straight to the second, uh, second act of the film, um, or second chapter, which is is kind of interesting. How he uh, very clearly defined the three chapters of the story. As in, uh, first we see Carl and Yaya and their relationship, and then we, after we are introduced to Carl and Yaya and how their dynamic is like disrupted. Yeah, he he sends us straight to the yacht not even like a transition yeah like it's very very interesting another thing i want to mention before we get into the second act is the way he structured this movie it's almost like it's three different movies exactly you know? it's, it's he I, i think he was trying to uh take these three very distinct uh settings you know the fashion world and then a luxurious super yacht and then a deserted <clears> island and then take this theme of the currency of beauty and then see how they would play out with these characters in these three very different yeah. settings. You yeah. know what? Yeah. I just just occurred to me it would be funny if he would actually or someone make a trilogy kind of like that. Can you imagine like where well, the first film is like this couple they meet the second film is like okay they go to the ECH and this all this crazy shit happens and the third film is like they get stranded on an island so it's like just a story of three mistakes. films. Keep, keep yeah. raising the stakes. That would be awesome. <laughs> that could be an interesting idea. That, that, Maybe we first, should work the, on that. The, yeah, t totally. The first part of uh, Triangle of Sadness could be its own freaking movie. It's so genius. Yeah. And that's also part of my complaint towards this movie, which is that it kind of abandons... You have a complaint about this movie? How dare you? Yes. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it kind of abandons the characters for the themes. Do you think so? A little bit. Like, through the second act, it kind of forgets about the characters. In what sense? It focuses more, for example, on <coughs> on the captain and the Russian oligarch, and their discussion, and what happens to the ship, and of course the other guests, guests too. So it kind of leaves Carl and Yaya to a side, only to, you know, go back to them on the third act. I guess so. I the, in And that is part of the reason why I think... This movie has a lot more to the themes of this movie have a, have a lot more to do with uh, equality uh, than just you know the currency of beauty because um, if you think about it the 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 relationship between the captain and the the Russian it's about equality they it's a a capitalist Russian and a socialist American absolutely brilliant dynamic between those two yeah. and they couldn't be more different and they somehow 
become these uh, bodies in the because in the, they aren't so different. I think exactly. that's what they recognize in each other. You know, and, they go and, so far to the opposite extremes that mm-hmm. they kind of find each other back. Exactly, and uh, and and that's why I think you know it comes back to the theme of equality. Like they they keep going back and forth with discussions between Marxism and socialism and capitalism. You know, exacerbating their ideas and these funny scenes where they kind of quote uh, you know famous writers and and thinkers from their cell phone screens. Yeah. But it, it comes down to that you know again that theme of equality. Like they they keep mentioning. Um, how capitalism is screwing up the world and uh, how Marxism failed and how oh, communism failed, but that comes back to that theme. So. Not to mention that this is like a perfect metaphor or allegory for, you know, the world and us, essentially the mm. ship being society and the world and us being too busy fighting each other over theoretical gibberish, you know, like... Absolutely. So just, just to kind of give a little bit of context... Um, we are now at the second part of the movie where Carl and Yaya, the couple from the first part of the movie, are now in the super yacht. Uh, Yaya got this invitation because she's an influencer, so she she got to be in the yacht for free as long as she posts a bunch of pictures in her uh, social media, uh, which is which also you know again gives uh, gives a lot of material for very funny scenes where she's like posing and Carl has to take pictures of her like very begrudgingly. So and. Uh, it's funny how in the yacht we meet this uh, elderly couple, the nicest people, literally the <laughs> nicest people on board of that ship with a bunch of horrible humans, the nicest people on the ship, and they made their fortune making war weapons, <laughs> like hand grenades. And it's funny how, again, he, he loves to do this of like juxtaposing images, right? So it's like for <laughs> the, the sweet, cute old couple... And yeah, they, I, I love the, the words that they use, how they say it, you know, when Carl asks them what they do and they, I, I can't remember exactly the words, but I think they say that they make tools, tools to uphold democracy. Exactly. <laughs> it's like. This is a choice of words is, is it's, brilliant. It's brilliant. The choice of words is brilliant. Which also makes me think about the script, you know, like, is there really a script? Isn't there a script? Some of the scenes seem scripted for, like, like, for example, the dialogue between the Russian and the captain. I'm, I'm pretty sure there is a script, even because Ruben Osland, he makes his own storyboards. He has this lengthy process where he thinks of the ideas and then he goes on, he goes on Google and he downloads a bunch of uh, photos that he thinks matches his ideas. And he does like little like collages. Like a mood board kind of thing. Sorry? Like a mood board kind of thing? Not like a mood board. He uh, he <clears> thinks, <throat> for example, the scene where there's a bunch the the uh, the ship's staff is scrubbing the the deck. Yeah. Right. So he thinks of that. He thinks of that frame, that scene, and then he goes online and he starts collecting uh, photos of people scrubbing the floor. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on Photoshop <clears throat> and he he kind of decals. He he paints over the the photo. He makes like little drawings, like a little, uh, how do you call it? Doodles. Not doodles. Uh, he, he, he draws over the photo and then he takes that layer and he starts in gluing them together to form his own frame. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting process. I've never seen it done like that before. I thought it was brilliant. Very creative. Because he knows exactly what he wants to see in the frame. He just goes online, takes all these random photos that 
people are never going to claim copyright because he's just drawing over the photos and creating his own thing. Um, and then, so he had a bunch of these uh, storyboards ready. So he knew exactly what the scenes were going to look like. So I'm pretty sure he had a script. But like I said, uh, couldn't find it. And some of the actors said they never saw a script before the audition, audition for the movie. So, hmm. But given the nature of the dialogue and how brilliant the choice of words were, I'm... I'm certain they were not improvised. They were absolutely scripted. To some degree, at least. At least <clears throat> to some degree. I love how the uh, by the time they are in the yacht, the um, the storm hits and everybody starts getting sick and throwing up. And if you think about it, the only reason that they are getting sick and throwing up, it's not, not the only reason, but it, there's a storm and the ship is rocking back and forth. But the uh, one of the passengers ordered the captain... To get all this staff, including the kitchen workers, to go into the pool, have fun, which meant that the food that they were going to eat later in the day was left unattended and, and uh, spoiled. And that's one of the reasons why they, they felt sick. Yeah, it's that these people are in some way so powerful, no one can say no to them. No that... one can say no to them in the ship, so they, they caused their own... Demise. <laughs> their, own, their, their own sickness. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and again, like um, it, it brought back the scene from the square where the uh, everybody is at uh, dinner gala event, and then the uh, the actor I can't remember his name, but he uh, he pretends to be an ape. He pretends to be an ape. He comes into the the gala event <clears throat> and he starts acting like an ape. And then in the beginning, everything, everybody's laughing and clapping and cheering. And They're like, oh, this is this, so avant-garde. Wow. It's, yeah, it's it. everybody's <clears> thinking <throat> this is extremely amusing and having a great time. And then things and pretty quickly getting, it goes to the dark side of things. Exactly. It starts progressively getting more uh, violent and more aggressive. violent and then like, extremely okay. tense. So I think that's, uh, that's something that uh, he does very well. He sets up a scene in a way that in the beginning... It's very funny, and you're completely absorbed, and then things start getting more and more chaotic and violent and disruptive, and it's you're like, already sucked in. You have nowhere to go. It's like, where do you draw the line? Exactly, and and the way that people <clears throat> are um, pretending, uh, they have like a little, the, uh, the, the characters are pretending that everything is normal, if, even though everyone around them is throwing up falling down and things you know like things are breaking and it's complete chaos but they are still in that mood of being civilized and polite and acting like everything is normal which is completely absurd and hilarious mm -hmm. so the uh, we mentioned the nicest uh, people on the ship the elderly soft-spoken couple who make their fortune by uh, building tools to uphold uh, democracy what? democracy yeah and uh, a the very obvious euphemism the, sorry a very obvious euphemism very obvious eu euphemism and uh when the sh when the ship is attacked by pirates guess how the <laughs> guess how the uh this gentle older couple dies is by picking up one of their own <laughs> one of their own grenades this is a so spoonful of their own funny. medicine hmm? A spoonful of their own medicine. It's so absurdly funny and ironic. It's, mm. it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it's this, this stroke of genius just to think of these these scenes and situations. I think one of my teachers, when I was <laughs> studying film, he would say the best films are those that are both unpredictable and yet inevitable. 
and that scene is both you know it's like you you would never see it coming but it's perfect exactly i don't remember who was it that said it but um i remember a quote that said um the best ending is the only possible ending yeah you don't think about it too much you see the best ending is the only possible <laughs> i remember one one instance where uh, a character mentions equality it was, was when the um passenger was in the pool and one of the staff is like serving her champagne and then she orders the staff to come into the pool and the 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 poor girl is like no i can't you know it's it, i i have you know things to do and i have to work yeah and she's like you have to come in the pool because you know we're all equal and she says <laughs> it again and it comes up again again uh the, this theme of equality yeah which obviously uh she says it out loud but uh, there are these barriers like these social economical barriers and dynamics and relation dynamics uh, power dynamics that uh, obviously do not allow for the in practice people to be equal yeah i mean every i think every scene has a reason to be there and it's very beautifully crafted for example what's the, what's the name of the the tech millionaire the lonely guy Yarmo. Ah, Yarmo. Got it. That scene where, you know, where we are introduced to him and he's alone on the deck of the ship and both the Russian and Carl are watching him. And then he, he goes and he, he talks to uh, the girls and the way that the the men make fun of him, thinking like, oh, this guy is such a loser, you know. And he turns out to be such a nice guy. And just by talking to, you know, Yaya and the the russians lover i think it was yeah he, he becomes friends with them and both uh dimitri i think is his name and and carl mm -hmm. they get so upset when they see like oh this guy is actually like a nice guy and the girls are having fun with him yeah they do and and i think that scene is another exploration of the of the theme of the currency of beauty mm -hmm. because uh you know it, it it starts off by yarmo seeing these two beautiful women alone in the, at the bar and then he just approaches them yeah and because he says you know he not because of it but he's a really nice guy but he starts off the conversation by just blatantly saying how rich he is no actually no he he starts by asking them to take a picture of him right 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 because right. he wants to send the picture to someone yeah so when the two ladies see that he's alone they invite him to come over and take a picture with them Mm -hmm. So when they do, he feels so grateful for them that he's like, oh, let me buy you some champagne and some champagne for the guys too. And then he was like, let me tell you something. Like, I'm very rich. Exactly. You know? that, that, like, he, he writes out, that he comes out and say it, like, right away. I'm very so rich. I think he, he plays with the expectations in that scene because, you know, he kind of puts the audience with Carl and Dimitri. Mm -hmm. I think Dimitri is his name, correct? Dimitri, yes, it's Dimitri. So you think like, oh, you know, this guy's like bald, he's kind of fat, like, what's he going to do? So there's like an expectation there, like, oh, this guy has no beauty, this guy has no currency to interact with these two beautiful ladies, you know? And later you realize that he has a currency, some, he has a beauty that's not external. And the two ladies realize this, so that's why they, you know, start hanging out with him, having fun. So it kind of sub subverts the expectation there. And yeah, and um, I think uh, that's one thing that Ruben Austin does very well with uh, mm -hmm. every scene that he creates is uh, subverting because uh, you can you can build a scene in a way that you can 
uh, create uh, uh, setups and payoffs. Um, you kind of lead the audience to expect one thing and then do a 180 degree turn and just yeah. subvert their expectation. Or you can do what Robert Us Ostlund does, which is brilliant, which is he he leads the scene in a way that it's you're not expecting something out of the scene. You know, you're familiar with the situation. You know what the character's probably going to say or what they're probably going to do. But he, he pulls something out of the, the hat that is completely unexpected. It doesn't necessarily have to do with where the scene was going. You know, like, um, for example, um, in this scene where Dimitri and Carl are making fun of uh, Yarmo, he is taking the audience by their hands and leading them to believe that Yarmo and is going to be rejected. But instead of doing a 180 turn degree and just having, you know, Yarmo being accepted by who he is, he does com something completely unexpected and makes Yarmo like mention how rich he is, you know, and he, Yarmo becomes someone that is generally attractive just by his own personality and he's like funny and you know like and generous vibrant and generous and it, it's not just uh simple as the, the girls liking him it's just he is generally attractive he has a generally attractive personality and that that's something that robert Dustin does very well um i you know i i used to work on a, on a cruise ship I forgot they, about that. I used to work on a cruise ship, and the uh, the dinner with the captain is a, is a real thing. Yes, it does happen. Yes, and um, it was it was so funny to be able to see that scene and and know that this is a real thing, because um, you know, like it's 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 almost like a ceremony on board the ship. The captain have to be has to be there, and he has to look extremely presentable. It's its own like whole thing. And it's so funny to see this movie, like the when the captain shows up to the to the dinner, the captain thing. He's like drunk. He's always like, drunk. He's he, always that, that's drunk. another thing I loved how they introduce the captain, you know, which is none other than Woody yeah. Harrelson himself. Yeah. And for most of the movie, he's essentially locked in his room. You don't see him at all. You just mm -hmm. hear his voice. And exactly. he, <laughs> it, it's like the ship doesn't have a captain. Yeah. He he's he's absent. He's just drunk all the time pissed wasted he's just wasted he's the uh, uh an american socialist drunk captain of a ship yeah and i love how at the dinner he's approached by this lady who says to him i think i think i saw the the sails earlier and the i think we should dirty. clean them <laughs> it's like well i mean that's gonna be hard to do because you know it's a, it's a motorized vessel and she's like, but but yes, no, the sales. Huh? I, I saw in the in the magazine. In the magazine, yes. Magnus, Magnus, and he, the captain goes like, oh well, like if if Magnus said so. And then we'll clean the we'll sales. We'll clean the sales, ma'am. <laughs> it's it's a brilliant scene about uh, how how you know like rich people feel entitled to be right. <laughs> and how blind they are. I mean, it's it's not fair to say that all rich people are like that just like it's not fair to say that all poor people are something or some way mm -hmm. but yeah definitely like it it makes allusion to to how these people that he's making fun of they live in a cloud you know they're so out of touch with something so basic as the reality of the ship that they are sailing in yeah absolutely and i, and I think the uh like the most um 
obvious example of that. It's just the entire scene, how uh, they are completely oblivious to the chaos around them and just pretending to, you know, finish their social norms and behave uh, in a civilized, polite way while everybody's puking and, have, you know, having diarrhea. It's, Explosive uh, it's, diarrhea. It's brilliant. It's such a visual metaphor of, you know, like how society is... Uh, Structured. Not not just structure, but also hypocritical towards uh, oh, I think, their own aspects. I think that's like a, a theme throughout all of Ostlund's work, like hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Like he, he tries to expose the hypocrisy of, I think in force majeure, maybe it's like hypocrisy of like relationships, then the square, the hypocrisy of art, and in Triangle of Sadness, maybe the hypocrisy of society in there's society, relationship there's, to money. There's and, also fashion world, like yeah. I love also how Woody Harrelson, the captain, you know, when everyone's having the dinner, all the plates that are served, they are like the most insubstantial food of all. Mm. They serve them like this jello or this like one oyster floating on in on the ice cube, you know, and so they are like eating nothing. <laughs> like the most the fanciest nothing of all. Yeah. And yeah. the captain, the he's having like, like a burger with like fries. Burger and fries. It's like, I'm not a fan of fine dining. And of dining. course, he, he doesn't get sick because because he's eating burger and fries because his food didn't spoil Yeah, like everybody else's. And then, of course, you know, the storm hits and everyone goes back to their rooms. Everyone's kind of freaking out, right? They're all sick. And here comes one of the most interesting parts of the movie, where is that both the captain and the Russian oligarch, Dmitri, start getting drunk together. Mm-hmm. And these two, they're made of the same material, even though they're in opposite ends of the spectrum. They couldn't be more different. Like, they're completely polar opposites. But they, they really get along in, the, in this story, which is which is pretty amazing how it was pulled off. I think they have the... I think they, they become great friends through drinking and discussing, you know. They mm-hmm. they get to a place of mutual respect for one another. Yeah, and I, I think also um, it was really interesting how it got to a point where the captain didn't care anymore. Yes, well, I think like, he never cared to begin with. He he never cared to begin with, but he was still, like, fulfilling his, uh, his role his as role. captain. And to a yeah. certain degree, like, showing up at least showing up to the captain's dinner. Yeah. But uh, it, it got to a point where Dimitri was taking over the microphone and <laughs> and uh, telling everybody to leave the ship, and the captain didn't even care anymore, given he was oh, drunk. I thought that was hilarious. That was hilarious. When Dimitri takes care of the microphone and he goes like, the ship is going ship under. Is going under. <laughs> and how everyone who's listening freak out, so they start running and jumping, and everyone starts tripping, and then... The toilets become so full with like shit that everything just comes back up, you know. Like yeah. it's like a, it's perfect metaphor for like how we're treating the ship, which is our planet, you know. Like everything's mm. gonna start like flooding with shit, and just you know, we try to hide all this stuff, and yeah, it just it will comes back up. come back, comes back up. Yeah, I think uh, I, I I'd love to talk about the uh, deserted island because so much stuff happens there. Yeah, <laughs> I think as much as uh, it happens in the ship, actually, because uh, when they they get shipwrecked, only a few survivors um, yeah, get to the island. Um, a few passengers and uh, Abigail, who was the cleaning lady, and um, Paula. But she, she was Paula. funny. She was funny as a character. It was Paula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love um, um, 
that he he does all these things. We go from the fashion world to the this luxurious yacht, um, and to the world of people with a lot of money, super rich people, and then we cut to a deserted island where money doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much how rich you are. It doesn't matter how much you have. All it doesn't that matter. Is survival skills. But I think the point of that is that there's still currency and power dynamics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's still a <clears throat> power dynamics between the characters, but the the setting has shifted completely. It has yes. like turned upside down because when they were in the yacht, it was the world of the rich and uh, all the, the money. How much you had made all the difference in the world. But then what happens when you take that away and then all that matters is how much skill you have. Yeah. Can you survive? Because all of the rich characters in the movie, they don't have necessarily any survival skills. real world survival skills. They have a lot of money and they have a lot of power because they have a lot of money. But what if you take away the importance of having money yeah. and you need your actual manual skills to survive? So that's a completely subvert. That's, that's, so, that's so brilliant. I yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so brilliant. Like the way he not not just the setting, like not just the way he he uh, flipped everything upside down, but the way he set everything up. Like mm. he spends two thirds of the movie just showing you how powerful these people are and how they can do anything and how oblivious to everything else around them they are. And then he flips everything in, this, in, in a switch, and all of a sudden that doesn't matter anymore. And then what do you do? How, how he? Uh, yeah, you take the money away from them and you, what they have. Not just not just take the money away, but take the importance of money away. You know, like you don't have power anymore because money doesn't matter anymore. Like what matters is can you catch a fish? Can you kill a donkey? Can you make a fire? <laughs> can you make a fire? Nobody knows how to do that. And the only person who knew who knows how to do that and can keep everybody alive is the person who had the least power on the ship, who was the cleaning lady. Abigail. Abigail. Um, I love her character, by the way. It was so good. Yeah. Because uh, when, when, she, when she shows up in that little boat, she has a lot of... Uh, supplies. Yeah, she has a lot of supplies. She has, you know, spare food and she has water. Yeah. But because she was thrown into this dynamic out of the blue, he's still she's still like clinging to that uh, world that she was living in more uh, the ship. But then that quickly changes, and she's like, "Wait a minute, I don't have to do that anymore." Yeah, you can see how the dynamics kind of <coughs> carry over for a bit when Paula's like, "Come on, come on, Abigail, hurry up, hurry up." Mm -hmm. That was brilliant because um, yeah. it, it it really makes you getting to the uh, the role of uh, what this character what what it means to this character to be like suddenly wait I, wait I don't have to listen to what they're telling me or do what they say you know like and um, realize how it's all kind of an act you know that we assume exactly and then that brings back again the themes of uh, equality like they are definitely they are not equal again but this time for different reasons, not because of socioeconomic differences, but because they don't have the same real-world abilities to survive. And then again, they're not equal for that reason. Um, and the theme of uh, the currency of beauty comes back in the form of Abigail now has it's, has more power than anybody, everybody else. She has food, she can build a fire, she can catch 
fish. So she can choose her mate. And because she has this power, she can, she can trade this power for, uh, know, for Carl's, Carl's beauty. Even love. Like Carl, Carl uses his, uh, his looks, his beauty as currency to get things from, from Abigail, who now holds all this, this power. That was really interesting. So regarding these three characters, you know, uh, <coughs> Abigail, Yaya, and Carl, uh, even though Abigail has the resources, the skills, the power, you know, and she's kind of established a bit of a relationship with Carl, you know, she gives him food and special treatment and he gives her essentially, you know, love and sex. She realizes that she cannot force that, you know, that eventually Carl becomes kind of conflicted and he's not able to, you know, fully, fully give that to her. She realizes that Yaya is still, I don't want to say an, an obstacle perhaps, but that she realizes Yaya has some power over him. And that's when she makes the decision. She says like, okay, I need to go on a walk with Yaya. I I think um, Carl was, was sort of enjoying the situation, like in the sense of um, I I had a sense that uh, as a character Carl Carl was um, he he liked his position as you know like his for the lack of a better expression like his sex slave. It's like a trophy wife. <laughs> exactly, that's a great way to put it because yeah. we have if we go back to the ship we had. An example of a trophy wife in the story as well with the yeah. Russian. He also had like this girlfriend sort of shady situation with a younger woman that was uh, accompanying him and his wife. Yeah. So, yeah, that's perfect. That's a perfect way to put it. Thank you. Because in the deserted <laughs> island, Carl becomes a trophy wife yeah. to Abigail. And he, he, I believe that he was enjoying it. Like he was Until getting all the privileges. Point. He was sleeping inside the boat. He was getting food. He wasn't doing a lot of work. You know, everybody else was mocking him and making fun of him. Um, and in some occasions disliking him, but he was enjoying like that situation, that, that arrangement of uh, being a trophy, trophy husband. Yeah, I agree. But there's a moment where he is no longer able to engage sexually with Abigail, I think. And that's when, you know, she decides to go for this walk with Yaya. Right. And every, you you know exactly what's going to happen, like, when they go on the walk. You, know, you can tell that Abigail has very clear intentions. I, I mean, I don't know. At the beginning, maybe you think that they actually want to talk, that, that Abigail might have a talk with Yaya. But as they go higher and higher, you're like, oh, shit. If something were to happen here, right. who would go come, look, come looking for Yaya, you know? Because of the way this scene was set up, I I was I was certain that Abigail had uh, second yes. intentions. She wanted to get rid of Yaya. But here's, a, here's what's so brilliant about uh, Robert Oslund's work is it seems like it's going to this direction, but then... As the scene develops, and then there's this reveal that they're actually like in a populated area, then it flips like everything. Everything goes like you. There's nothing you can expect. What is going to happen now? Because she cannot get rid of Yaya because they're you know they're in a populated area. What she's going to do? And then it's so brilliant how he manages to keep things unexpected. I think I think that's uh, something really hard to do when you're writing. How I think when they are going 
higher and higher. It's almost like the stakes are going higher and higher, you know, when they're climbing. Uh-huh. Like, oh, shit, one little bush, and Yaya's gone. And then they reach this place, and, you know, they find, oh, there's a resort. And then reality kind of hits, reality, in quotes, kind of hits Abigail and Yaya, so they kind of revert back to, like, roles. So she has even almost more reason to want to kill her, because she even goes to say, like, oh, I could help you, you could come and work for me. Yeah, that was such a brutal line. So it, it really shows, like... You know, you see Abigail consumed by this darkness. Like, I don't want to go back to this life where I'm a slave, you know? So you can see it in her eyes. And I love that they don't show you what happens next. And that's what I was saying before. They thought Abigail was going to do something to Yaya. And then they find the elevator. And when they find the elevator, my expectation changed changed to, oh, now Yaya is going to do something to Abigail. And then it changed again when the elevator doors opened because I was 100% sure that Yaya was just going to bolt out into the elevator and leave Abigail behind. Well, she I, wanted I, to. She wanted to, and I and I was 100% sure that that's what she was going to do, but she didn't, and that just threw me off so hard. I think that's what makes that moment even more beautiful in some ways, which is when... Abigail says to Yaya, no, no, wait, don't go yet. Let's just sit here and enjoy the moment. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the moment before we return back to normal, everyday life. Of course, she doesn't want to let go of her power and all yeah. her, her influence. That was great. What do you think uh, Carl running in the end means? Oh, he realized what's, what's going to happen. He's like, fuck, I need to go get them. You know, when I saw that, it did occur to me that, you know, he realizes that Abigail wants to Get hurt Yaya. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then I started thinking about it. Maybe something happened because it, things kept happening. Like when uh, we were still back at the uh, at the deserted island bit, uh, we saw the vendor coming with like the hats and yeah. stuff, right? So with the introduction of that character, everything was like thrown out the window. And like you don't everything know if it's real happen. or if it's imagined. I think it's real because of the elevator, you yeah. know, like they are in a populated area. You know, with the introduction of that character and then going back to Abigail and Yaya, when I saw Carl running, I thought, no, oh, he's running to save Yaya. But then I remember that guy, the vendor. And it occurred to me that maybe something happened. To... Like they found, like the rest of the survivors found the the vendor. And then they realized what's going on. Or maybe someone got hurt. or Because he looked really desperate. But the point is, I think for Ruben Osland, it doesn't really matter exactly what the end is. Yeah. It matters what we take of the yeah, ending. Yeah, like it's our... more like a Rorschach test. He's definitely just, like, playing with suggestions, right? Exactly, because, like, just between the two of us, we had different interpretations yeah. of that scene, I'm so. always gonna, you know, fall back on Occam's razor, which is that this most simple explanation is usually the right one. Uh, just for me, the... Cutting from one scene to the other is enough to suggest he is running towards them. Yeah. Because shit's going to go down. Right. Or, or maybe he was worried about Abigail because he didn't want to lose those privileges. And he didn't want to lose, you know, like the, hmm. 
he didn't want to lose the privileges he had. He was, you know, trading his his beauty for all the stuff he was gaining. For me, it's more that he realizes that he actually likes, yeah, yeah, like kind of like going back to the beginning of the movie. That's, and kind of thinking, okay, I kind of prostitute myself. That's the beauty of it. We, you know, everybody's gonna take something, yeah, something different out of this beautiful movie. <laughs> great movie. It's a you great movie. Definitely go watch it if you haven't seen it to this point. I hope you, whoever's listening to this, <laughs> have seen it because we already spoiled the end for you. So we told you everything. Fingers crossed, you have seen it, um, and I hope you enjoy this episode because it's the end of it. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you, Lilia. It's nice to be back and wishing you all a good time. Wishing you all good times and very good moves in the future. It was very good to be back and record another episode. More episodes to come. Stay I hope tuned. so. But this is it for now. <laughs> See you next time, folks. Bye.